And on that note, I would like to invite Bart Netterfield and uh, Tyler Scar Scarborough to come up, please. Good morning. It's so great to be here. So over the last, I guess, nine months, um, the elders have been looking at a uh, transitional team to replace both uh, Joe and Jonathan. And um, I, I guess if you've been looking in your bulletins the last few weeks, I guess you'll know that we've uh, made an offer to Tyler, who's accepted it, and he's our new um, pastor of discipleship and outreach. And uh, he'll be continuing to be uh, preaching halftime, sharing that with Pastor Ed. And we're just so excited about this, um, this great team we have here at, at Richard. Uh, Tyler, what are you excited about? Yeah, I'm... A I'm excited to get to know uh, each of you. Um, I come in every so often and preach and uh, don't really get to know many of you that well, but over the next little while, I, I'm hoping to get to know many of you very well. And I'm also looking forward to what God has in store for this church. I mean, the potential here is incredible. So let's see, let's see where God is going. Let's see where he's leading and let's follow after him. All right, let me pray for you, Tyler. Lord, our, our God, our Father, our, our King, we thank you for, thank you for your church. Lord, I pray that you will rule in our midst and that everything we do and everything we say will be according to your, your, your values and your purposes and following your commands. And I pray the Lord that your hand will be on Tyler and fill him with your spirit. Let him be a minister to you and uh, that your will be done in everything. I pray that your presence will continue to be among us and that through this church, we would be able to re reach the community for you and that your kingdom would grow. And we pray these things in, your, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, praise team. And can we just praise God for the worship that we were able to have this morning? That's great. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, praise team. And yes, as I, as I said, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for what God has in store. I mean, who knows? Only God knows. But we're hoping he's going to bless us. He's hoping, we're hoping that he's going to bless this church. And we've got a lot of space in here. We've got room to grow. And so I'm just hoping, Lord, that he will lead us and that he will lead each of us into new Christ-glorifying heights in this next little while. I hope you're with me in that. So let me, let me pray for us. Let me pray for us as we get into the word. Lord, open our hearts. They are closed to the things of you, unknowingly, sometimes knowingly. We categorize what you say and we ignore some things and we accept other things. But Lord, I pray that you'd break down whatever barrier is in between us and your word, us and your spirit. Lord, would you, uh, I count myself among one of those barriers. So Lord, would you allow me to speak clearly your word? In Christ's name I pray, amen. So how many people are there on this planet? How many, like seven, seven billion 
ish, like more than that, around, around there. It's a lot of people. And among those 7 billion plus people, I'm told, I didn't count, but I'm told that 3.4 or 2.4, I should get that number right, yeah, 2.4 billion people of those people profess to be Christians. That's incredible. That's one in three. That's, that makes Christianity the most popular religion in the world. That's pretty cool. And we should take some encouragement in that. 2.4 billion believers. Christ says something in the New Testament that should give each of those 2.4 billion people a time to reflect. This is what Jesus says in the New Testament. He says, not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. In other words, there are some people who profess to be believers, who call out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says some of these people, maybe even many of them, are not, in fact, true believers. Now, that should give us all some pause, shouldn't it? And I'm sure if you're in this room and you count yourself a believer, you want to know the difference between true, genuine belief and this false belief that Christ talks about. And if you're not a believer, if you're thinking about the things of faith, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm sure you also want to know the difference between genuine faith and this Lord, Lord faith, this false faith. And I think this distinction can be made by asking yourself this question. Am I pursuing Christ or am I pursuing what I can get out of Christ? Am I pursuing Christ himself or am I pursuing the gifts that I think Jesus will give me? Whether it's material prosperity, whether it's a new job, whether it's a new car or whatever it happens to be. Am I in fact pursuing Christ or what I think I can get out of Christ? Now, it was Valentine's Day this past week and I heard this story uh, about what love looks like and what love does not look like and I, and I think it illustrates my point. There was a fisherman and there was a fisherman who was next to the water and he was fishing and he grabbed a fish and he looked at this fish and says, I love this fish. He cleaned the fish, he fried the fish up and he ate it. And then there was someone who was walking nearby and this person who was walking nearby, the fisher talked to him and said, hey, do you want some fish? And he said, sure. And he says, I really love fish. And this passerby said, huh, really? Do you love this fish or do you love you? If you love the fish, you'd give yourself to the fish. You'd care for the fish. You would love the fish and allow the fish to live. But I think you just love you. You just like how it tastes and what you can get out of the fish. Now, I'm not, I am not at all advocating for vegetarianism. Um, I'm going to, you know, let you make your decision on that. But it serves to illustrate my point. Do we in fact love someone when all we are doing is trying to get what we want out of the relationship? There are things that we get mixed up in our pursuit for Christ, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. What we want to do is pursue Christ, but other things get in the way. So I'm, I'm hoping that this morning we are going to see the difference between pursuing Christ himself and pursuing those gifts that we think Christ will give us. Would you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12? 
I know on your bulletin it will tell you the page number. It's also going to be up on the screen, whatever you prefer. And I'm going to read this first two passages, uh, these first two verses just to draw a parallel between what's going on in the passage and actually what's going on here this morning at church. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus is coming back to this place called Capernaum, and for a time this was his ministry HQ. So he would come back there, and people had been hearing about all of the wonderful things Jesus has been doing. He's, an, he's a powerful teacher. He's authoritative. He's been healing people. He's been doing wonderful things. And so all of these people from all around come to this house to see what Jesus is going to say. And the place is packed. The parking lot is full. The pews are filled up. And it's standing room only in this house. But not all of the people who were there are actual believers. They're at different stages of life. Some of them may be believers in Christ. Some of them may have put their faith in him. Others are just seeking. Others are more mature in their faith. Others are not so much. And others may, in fact, have an agenda with Christ. They want to get something, something from him, something out of him. And I just want to say that Sunday mornings at a given church isn't all that much different. I mean, we're, we're not packed, right? I wish we were. And uh, hey, I'm glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. We're not packed. I, I sure wish that was the case. But all of us are here at some level hoping to hear from God, hoping to hear from his word at some level. Some of us are here at one maturity level. Some of us are here at another. We're all a mixture of people. And some of us, maybe unbeknownst to ourselves, we have an agenda with Christ. We're not here to pursue Christ. We're here to pursue, well, what we want out of Christ. Now, here's the question that I want to ask you, and it's actually the title of this sermon. Why have you come? Why did you make the decision to come here this morning? And by the way, that decision was actually a lot of decisions. You got up out of bed, all right? You could have stayed in bed. It's pretty comfortable in there. You got up out of bed. You made your breakfast. You got up early. You made it over here. I mean, it's pretty nice out, I guess, but, uh, you know, it's winter. You could have just cuddled up, but you made the decision you made the decision to come here. And why? Let's evaluate that question. And I hope, my hope is that this sermon is going to help us know whether in fact we are pursuing Christ or what we believe we can squeeze out of Christ. And the first thing that we're going to see in this passage and the first thing I want to challenge us on is this. Are we pursuing Christ or are we pursuing material prosperity? Material prosperity comes in many different forms. It could be a new car. It could be uh, that promotion that you're looking for. It could be a romantic relationship that you've been waiting for. It could even be healing. It could be all of these great things. And we sometimes end up believing that if we have enough faith in Christ, if we give ourselves enough to him, then he will bless us in that way. So really the end isn't Christ. The end is getting the things that we want. Take a look at this passage. Take a look at what happens next. In verse 3, some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, 
they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he's about to do something. And I'm just going to leave that a cliffhanger for now. But imagine, okay, these four men, they grab this paralyzed person, this person who, who has a, who's paralyzed, and they get him on a mat and they can't get in. And so they go through all of this effort to get on top of the roof, dig through and lower this man who was paralyzed before Jesus. Now, what do you think they had in mind when they did that? I mean, they've heard that Jesus is this healer and they're bringing him this paralyzed person. What do you think they had in mind? Well, they obviously thought that Jesus was going to heal this man, that he was going to stand up and walk away, that Jesus was going to heal him. So you can imagine being in that room at that time. You can imagine, okay, we've got Jesus here, and we've got someone who's expressed incredible amounts of faith to bring this paralyzed man before him. And everyone's getting excited. Everyone's thinking, I know what happens next. I know what happens next in the story. This is, this is, when, this is when Jesus does his Jesus thing. This is when he comes and he heals them and then he walks away. It's going to be so awesome. I can't wait. Jesus, what are you going to do? This is what he does. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, that might have came as a bit of a surprise for the paralyzed person. You, you forgave my sins. That's, that's cool and all, but... Why do you think they brought me to you? I'm, I'm paralyzed. I can't move. I, I'm here so I can get healed. And everyone around is like looking at each other, wondering, what's with this Jesus? Doesn't he know that this paralyzed man, he, he wants to be healed? Doesn't, doesn't he know that he's not here just to get his sins forgiven? But let me ask you, when Jesus forgives the sins of this paralyzed person. Who is the most blessed person in the room? It's him. He may be on the floor. He may not he may be he may be at the mercy of all of the people around him. Healthcare probably isn't so good back then. He probably has a quite a tough life. But the most blessed person in that room is him. Because Jesus didn't cater to his personal desires and wants. He struck at his deepest need. And his deepest need is not in his legs. His deepest need is in his relationship with Christ. Is in the forgiveness that we need of sin. He doesn't cater to our personal wants. He strikes at what we most desperately need. And that's in the heart. The forgiveness that we need from sin. And the people around this paralyzed person may not have understood that. They might have thought, Jesus, hey, why haven't you, why haven't you taken care of his true need? The need to walk. But Jesus didn't cater to that. He forgave him because of his faith. And that is his truest, truest need. There is a plague going around the church that might be partly responsible for the reason why there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world. And that plague is called the prosperity gospel. And this gospel is a perversion of the true gospel. And just as a review for the gospel, this is what we believe. 
The gospel says that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to take the full weight of the punishment of the sins that we've all committed. So God places the weight of punishment on Christ instead of on us so that those who have faith in Jesus can have eternal life and a relationship with God. That's the true gospel. But this false gospel doesn't think sin is the problem. The prosperity gospel says lack is the problem. Jesus is here to fix the problem of lack. I don't have enough. I don't have enough health. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough status. I don't have enough relationships. And so we come to Christ, not for necessarily the forgiveness of our sins, but so that he will bless our lives materially. So if things aren't going so well for you, if there is a sickness or if there is some kind of downturn in your life, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe enough. You, you must have some sin in your life. And obviously we don't believe that, right? That's so clearly a false gospel. But sometimes we can get mixed up with that, can't we? Sometimes we pray to God and we say something like this. God, I've, I've been doing better. You know, I've been, I've been going to church. I've been, I've been praying, you know. I, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I've, I've improved. I'm avoiding sin. I'm serving in the church. I'm doing all these wonderful things. And yet, you've chosen not to bless me in this area. Or you've chosen to allow this bad thing to happen to me. We're buying in to the prosperity gospel. We're saying, God, you owe me. I've been faithful to you. Now you owe me something. That is a false gospel. And if you have come here this morning believing that if you have faith in Christ, that it is a guarantee that he will bless you materially, then it's possible you aren't pursuing Christ at all. You are just pursuing what you want out of him. Now, sometimes it can be difficult to differentiate between the two, but we've got to pray to God and ask him to make it apparent to us whether or not we are pursuing him or just the stuff. In fact, Christians ought to expect downtimes in our lives. We have to expect persecution or when we're um, downtrodden because of our faith. We need to expect times where things aren't going as well as we think they ought to. First of all, because we live in a universe that is broken because of sin. We've sinned, people sin against each other. And so bad things are going to happen. But secondly, God is actually sovereign over the bad things that happen in our lives. He's as much sovereign over those things as the good things. Let me explain. In the book of Job, we read that God will give and will take away. God gives and God takes away. He is sovereign over the good times, over the up times, and he is sovereign over the down times as well. And I used to think that that passage meant, well, sometimes God's in a good mood and he gives. Sometimes God's not so much in a good mood and he takes away. It's kind of arbitrary. It's kind of how God's feeling that day. You know, he gives, he takes away. 
Who knows? But the truth is much more glorious than that. When God gives, and he loves to give us gifts, when he gives, he does so as an opportunity for us to grow in holiness. And when he takes away, it is also an opportunity for us to use that time to grow in holiness. He does it so that we can grow more and more like Jesus Christ. When he gives us that gift, when he gives us that pay raise, when he gives us that nice car, when he gives us that thing that we've been uh, looking to and he blesses us with that, he's in essence saying to us, here is a gift. Now use this for my glory. Don't use it to fulfill yourself. Use it for my glory. Thank me. Use it for the kingdom. And when God is sovereign over a downturn in our lives, when something, and come on, I, it's tougher than I'm making it out to seem. And you know that personally. Down times are tough. And when God is sovereign over those tough times, which he is, he says to us, use this for my glory. Continue to trust me. Continue Continue to reside in me. Continue to love me. Continue to obey me. And through that, we will be taught perseverance. And we will be taught faith and holiness. See, with God, prosperity isn't stuff. Prosperity is holiness. It's knowing our God more. It's getting further and further away from sin. That is true prosperity. And that is the prosperity that God offers each and every one of us. If we think that, you know, just uh, if we believe the, uh, the uh, prosperity gospel, and we think that being sick means, you know, that we've sinned, we're going to look around and we're going to see people in downtimes and we're going to think, well, there must be something wrong with you. But that's not the case. God gives and takes away so that we can become more holy. That's the point. So if, why have you come? Is it so that you can be materially blessed? I hope not. I hope it's so that you can align your heart with Christ and covet holiness, a relationship with God, forgiveness, not just stuff. Okay. That's the first pursuit that we get mixed up with our pursuit with Christ. And I've only got two, so we're going we're gonna to be on time. That's the first pursuit. We get mixed up with chasing after material prosperity. Here's the second one. And this one is just as dangerous. Sometimes we come to church just to get religious comfort. Now, let me explain that, okay? I got to explain that because obviously when you become a believer, yes, you get religious comfort. You, if you become a believer, if you put your faith in Christ, you now know that there is a God of the universe who is in control of all things and your eternal security is made because of him. You can look forward to a future and you can have comfort, comfort in knowing that God is for you. But some people, when they come to church, they're not looking for what Christ has to say to them. They're just looking for the Bible and Jesus to agree with them on every issue, right? Sometimes we're coming to church and we've got our filter on, all right? We've got a filter. And whenever we hear something from the Bible, we put it into column A or we put it into column B. We hear something that we like, 
and we put it in column A and we follow after that. But if we hear something we don't like, if we hear something that goes against how we think of the world or how we think of morality or how we think of God, we put that in column B and we get ignored and we ignore it. In some cases, we're not coming to hear from Christ. We're just here to get religious comfort. Just hear the nice, comfortable truths that we hear again and again. And nothing that challenges us and nothing that changes us. Take a look at what happens next in this passage. So Jesus has just forgiven this person of his sins. And there are some people nearby and they're going to think something. But if you think something near the all-knowing God, well, he's going to know about it. So this is what happens next in verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these teachers of the religious law are nearby and they've seen that Jesus has just claimed he healed someone. And they're thinking, well, hold on here. Hold on here, Jesus. I've been with you up until here. I came, I came here so that I could hear you teach. I've been with you. I've been following you. Th these things have been good. I've been enjoying it. But now you're standing here and you're claiming that you can forgive sins. And that's a step too far. That's going into column B. I'm ignoring that. Because if you claim that you can forgive sins on your own authority, that means you are God. Because only God can forgive sins based on their own authority. Priests could, but they only did it, uh, priests forgave, I should say, but they only did it through a sacrifice to God. It was God who forgave, not the priest. But this Jesus says, I forgive you. I'm the one who forgives you. He's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. And I cannot follow you there. Because if you're God, if you are the Christ, if you're the Savior, then I've got to follow you. I've got to be devoted to you. I've got to follow your word. You would become my Lord. And I'm not interested in that. Here's the question for all of us. Why have we come? Have we come just to hear those comfortable truths that we hear again and again and ignore every one of those challenging truths that God, asks, that God commands of us? Or have we come to truly hear the word of God and follow after him? There, there, are, there is a huge market out there for comfortable religious truths, okay? There are, there are churches and, and you know, uh, some of them are, are better than others, of course. Um, some churches, all of their entire focus is keeping everyone who comes very comfortable. And I know we have to get, you know, the temperature right and we're going to fix the furnace, you know, eventually and stuff like that. Uh, we, getting the temperature right and making sure you have nice seats, that's all good. But then the preacher comes up and... The preacher only preaches on those comfortable truths, but none of the challenging ones. The love of God is preached. And yes, we need to preach the love of God because he loves us. But the wrath of God, God's anger against sin, is ignored. The forgiveness that Christ offers, the forgiveness that he offers us on the cross is preached. But the moral transformation that happens in the believer sidestepped. The inclusivity of the call of Christ that everyone who believes in Christ can be saved is preached. But the exclusivity of Christ, the fact that only through Christ can we be saved, 
can be side stepped. Sometimes we're coming to church and all of us are in danger of doing this. All of us, believer, if you've been a believer for 50 years or one, or you're not a believer, all of us can come with that kind of filter. I only want to hear what I want to hear and everything else can go away. We have to take the Bible as is. We need to understand it correctly. We need to understand what it's saying and then take it as is. It's, we can't categorize it. And, and here's why. You know, I, I could understand someone who comes to church and we preach the Bible and the person just rejects the whole thing. I can understand that. I get that, right? Okay, you, the Bible is what it is and, you know, God isn't real, so I don't believe that. And you know, God didn't create anything, so I'm done with that. And there was no such person of Jesus, uh, as Jesus, so the whole Bible, just I'm not interested. I can, I can appreciate someone who says that. I don't, I don't agree, but I can appreciate that. What I have a harder time understanding, and maybe I just need an education, but what I have a harder time understanding is someone who believes many parts of the Bible, believes about the forgiveness that can come through faith in Christ, believes in all of these wonderful things about God. But then at other points in the Bible, they say, no, that can't be right. No, that, that moral issue, I don't think the Bible's got it right there. Now, I, I gotta ask, you know, why do we trust God? Why do we trust the Bible when it comes to eternal life, but don't trust it when it comes to living life? I mean, if it's flawed in its assessment of how we should live and all of these moral issues, if it's flawed in those areas, well, then it must be flawed throughout, right? Why do we trust it when it comes to eternal life, but not through these other areas? We have to take it as is. We have to let the scriptures lead us. We have to let the Holy Spirit through the scriptures lead us. And not just follow after what we hope it says or what we think it says, but what it actually indeed says. If you've never been changed by Christ, if you've never had some kind of transformation in your, in your thinking and your actions, and you've been following after Christ, I've got to ask you, you know, what, what version of Christ are you following? Are you following the Jesus that you made up, that agrees with you on every issue? Because here's the problem with that. If you are following after the Jesus who agrees with you about everything, what you're saying is, well, God couldn't possibly know any better than me. I, I pretty much know how things go. I pretty much am the moral authority, and if you don't agree with me, you must be wrong. I'm the moral authority. And then we come to church, and then we worship together, but the, the God you're worshiping is a God made in your image. So you might as well be worshiping yourself. Now, obviously, that sounds silly, right? Come on, who, who comes to church to worship, your, worship yourself? You, you don't. You don't want to, at least. But when we say to God, no, I don't want to believe that, what we are essentially saying is, I know better. I know better than you, God. So I'm just going to follow the things that I want to follow. Why have you come? Is it simply for religious comfort? Is it just that you want to hear those truths that you've heard before and you don't want to change, you just want to keep going that way? Or is it so that we can hear from Scripture and hear from Christ himself and follow him and say, Jesus, you're right. Even before I read it, even before I know what it says, Jesus, you're right. And I want to follow you.
Now, we've looked at two areas, two areas that get us off course in our pursuit of Christ. But why does Jesus want us here? Why did Jesus gather these people here? What's Jesus' purpose through all of this? And he's going to show us. That's the next thing that's going to happen. Take a look at what happens next in verse 8. So Jesus has forgiven this person's sins. The person nearby accuses him of blaspheming, only thinking it. And this is what, how Jesus responds in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now, before we move on, which one is, that, that's a good question, which one's easier? Is it easier to say to someone, you're forgiven, and prove that you've forgiven that person? Or is it easier to say, get up off your mat and walk, if you're talking to a paralyzed person, and prove that you've done that? Well, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no visible evidence that that's happened. There's no way to prove that. It's not a physical thing that happens. So Jesus says, the way that I'm going to show to you that I have the authority in my word to forgive sins is to heal this person with my word. This is what he does next. He says, verse 10, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So why did Jesus draw them all there? Why did Jesus forgive this person? And why did he heal him and allow him to walk? Why did he do that? And he shows us why. He tells us why. It's in the passage. Verse 10. I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's his uh, title for himself, by the way. Son of Man is just him referring to himself. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. We need our desire to be here to be the same as Christ's desire for us. He draws us here so that we know that he has the authority to forgive sins. And the reality of that is, well, well, the Pharisee or the teacher of the law was right about one thing. Only God can forgive sins and only God does. This Christ, this Jesus is God. He is the Lord. And he has drawn us here so that we can see that he is the Lord of glory, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who will cancel our sin debt through his work on the cross. That's why he has brought us here so that we can understand who he is and, and decide to follow after him. And here's the correct response for each of us. It's in verse, uh, verse uh, 12. The man took his mat and walked out in full view of them all, and this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up as I, as I close here. The reason why we ought to be here, I'm not sure why you've decided to be here. I'm not sure why you decided to put your boots on and come here this morning. It could be for a variety of reasons. It could have been for material prosperity. It could have been just for religious comfort. I'm not sure. But the reason why Christ wants you here 
And so that we all recognize, each of us recognize that this Jesus, this, this person is God. And he is worthy of all praise, all honor, and all glory. And when we understand who he is, and when we understand what he's done, and when we understand how much he loves us and how much he's done for us, all we can do in response is worship. It's to lay our lives down and say, Lord, my life is yours. I will follow you wherever you go. And you are glorious beyond glory and worthy of all the universe's praise and my own for now and forever. Friends, church, Will you now join me in praising this almighty God? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we get mixed up in our pursuits. Sometimes we believe we are indeed following after you, but then we learn from scripture that something's got to change. Lord, help us to have the boldness through the Holy Spirit to change. Help us to get past our hard-hearted self. Soften our hearts, Lord, so that we pursue you and you alone, not the stuff. Lord, we thank you for this time. And would you ignite in us a passion and a sight, a sight that sees Christ as eternally and infinitely valuable and worthy of all honor and praise. In Christ's name, amen.